Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Invention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Oh, yeah. Hello, I am Joe Laurent, and welcome to Hold the Line, the podcast for force free gun dog training. Hold the Line is committed to helping you train your dog to an advanced level using motivational methods and without the use of fear or pain. Thank you for tuning in and please make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Hold the Line. Hello everybody and welcome back to Hold the Line. I hope you're all staying safe and well out there and that lockdown is bearable for you at least. It hasn't been too bad where I live. We have had quite a lot of freedom to go out and about and to enjoy the great outdoors with mainly the requirement that we keep two metres away from other people. Um, So it's been not too bad, I'd say. The fact the main issue for me has been that the sheer number of other people that are out there everywhere when I take my dogs out anywhere into a public space. So it just seems that everybody with a dog has descended upon the countryside And it makes what is always slightly stressful if you live in a busy place, it makes it even more stressful because you have to be constantly avoiding even more people. And because usually these people's dogs are not used to even being off leash in a rural area, they don't seem to have much control over them. And so that part of things has been a little bit stressful. I'm kind of looking forward to that getting back to normal and the countryside returning to the peaceful place that it once was when I'm in it. Um, Anyway, so... What I'm going to talk about this week, I have some more lining drills. It seems that lots of people really liked the wagon wheel drills that I did and have requested the next step along. And so I'm going to give you the next step along in terms of developing your lining, um, which is going to be um, the three in a row drill. It can also be the five in a row drill. So we'll get onto that in a minute. I do have a question, a couple of questions actually from listeners to answer. So I think maybe let's just start with the questions first of all. Um, The first question, I think this is going to be quite a common question. So it's a question from a listener who says, Joe, I'm reaching out because I'm really enjoying your book, Force Free Gundog Training. That's good. Good to hear that. Um, Here's my challenge. I have an eight-week-old Cocker Spaniel pup. I also have three kids, six, eight, and ten. When the pup is in a bitey moment, she nips at the youngest two, and her sharp puppy teeth obviously cause a lot of pain. I've suggested the kids throw a toy or turn around and ignore it, but they end up sort of paralyzed by the leaping, biting pup. It also happens rather quickly. Often by the time I arrive, it's too late. If you have suggestions or can direct me to resources that you like, I would be grateful. Yes. So um, this isn't really a gundog training question, by the way. I mean, I know it involves a gundog puppy, but these issues confront pretty much everybody who has a puppy. Well, particularly a, a high energy puppy. Some pups are just very 
easygoing and, and owners luckily don't have problems like this but a lot a lot a lot of people do so it's not specifically about gun dog training uh, but i will answer the question so the first thing that i would say and it's a kind of a big it's a big general thing to say it's not only about this one behavior but it's about preventing a lot of other behaviors so and prevent preventing and prevention is a key word there so prevention is really important for all kinds of dog training anything you want to do with your dog and particularly for gun dog training and i kind of think of it as this invisible thing if you like so if you imagine someone taking a walk on the beach with their dog or in a park with their dog and you know the dog's got a long line on you don't look at that dog and think wow look at that that is just that's such great prevention that is look at that person that excellent prevention i mean so we tend to like not take notice of prevention i always think of it's like it's like the invisible thing or if someone's like standing on a shoot with their dog on leash we don't go look at that excellent prevention well done that person i really admire that um you know well we we may do if we're dog trainers i do but you know vast majority of people don't look at somebody who's implementing prevention and think like that so when we think about reinforcement based dog training we think about giving dogs treats we think about clickers we think about toys we think about all the stuff that we can give them and it's very visible you know if you picture up in your head um, if you conjure up in your head the picture of someone training their dog using force-free methods you probably have the idea of someone clicking giving the dog a treat or clicking and playing tuggy with with their dogs you know all these kind of active things where you can actually see the thing that we're giving to the dog and it's a very kind of concrete thing that you can see being given whereas prevention is the bunny that's not being chased it's the dog that other dog that's not being run after and played with it's the um it's the poop that the dog is not eating because they're on a long line and in your case it's the kids that are not getting bitten by your 11 week old puppy so we don't see these things because they're non things they're things that haven't happened because the person's implemented prevention properly but then because we don't see these things it sometimes isn't clear to other people what an important role prevention plays in avoiding the situation so prevention as a concept i think is massively underestimated and untalked about and just it's just not out there enough as enough as it needs to be i mean i think maybe dog trainers have an appreciation of it but you know the vast majority of other people are not really thinking about prevention to the degree that they need to be and that's where a lot of problem behaviors come from or issues come from it's because people have ventured out into situations with their dog where there's stuff that they don't want to happen but they haven't put anything in place to prevent that stuff from happening so it's going to happen so um yes with your puppy you need to be thinking about ways that you can completely just prevent this behavior from happening puppies need to not have a free range around the house so they need to have an area where they spend most of their time so in my house that area is when they're very little it's the kitchen and it's the kitchen stair gated off from the rest of the house and that's the only room that they are in and they have a crate under the kitchen table so when i am not in the kitchen for more than 10 seconds or something uh, the puppy is in the crate so that means that i do spend a lot of time in the kitchen at first i bring my laptop into the kitchen i set it up at the kitchen table it becomes almost like a secondary office to me so all the time the puppy is out of the crate and is playing or is free range in the kitchen i am in the kitchen with the pup so when i need to you know do something in another room or when the pup gets sleepy anyway i pop the pup in the crate close the door pup goes to sleep in the crate making sure they've been to the toilet before um, and then i can safely leave the kitchen and know that the pup's not going to get up to any mischief in the kitchen now I don't have children 
But if I did, my children would be on the other side of the stair gate in the rest of the house. They would not be in the kitchen with the puppy unless very brief moments when they needed to pass through to get something or, you know, you know those kind of situations. It wouldn't be something that they wouldn't be hanging out in the kitchen, for example. Times when I did want pup and kids to come together, maybe to spend time together, to train and play together, to be together as a family, that would be a very kind of a, a time of day when it's very focused. So um, that attention that we provide to the to the kids and to the um, puppy. So for me, in the evenings is the time when I would bring the puppy out of the kitchen into the rest of the house and I would have the pup on a harness with a, with a house line, a puppy house line attached to their harness. So a puppy house line is something that you can get um, on Amazon, probably from all over the world you can probably get it. Um, I like the ones made by Clicks, that's C-L-I-X, and um, they are come in different colors, but they're a really lightweight leash which clips um, to your puppy and doesn't have a handle on the end so it doesn't get caught up on anything. It's two and a half meters long. You just drop it on the floor and the puppy trails it behind them. So anytime that your pup does something that you don't want them to do, you can quickly grab the puppy without actually grabbing the puppy, if you see what I mean. Now, the problem with grabbing the puppy is if pups get used to hands grabbing at them rapidly, snatching them around the waist and startling them, it's a bit scary for a young animal to be grabbed from behind by something that's a bit talon-like. It's probably got some some deep... Um, reminiscences of birds of prey or something i think some must be some sort of genetic recognition that this feels a bit like a a bird of prey grabbing you because it often results in puppies um having negative feelings or feeling badly about sort of being grabbed or being picked up and so you want to avoid all that because you can have great problems like that too so you would just grab your house line instead of grabbing the actual puppy and then you would gently encourage the puppy away from whatever it is that they're doing so in our household although we don't have kids we often have older dogs and we often need to integrate the puppy with the older dogs and that's what we do in these situations in the evening the puppy comes into the rest of the household with the rest of the family um, and the older dogs as well but i'm constantly managing that puppy so i'm holding the end of the house line i'm preventing the puppy from terrorizing the older dogs too much if i can get sense the older dogs have had too much of the puppy i'll just lead the puppy away i'll preoccupy the puppy with a toy or with a chew and i am just constantly there all the time i can't read a book i can't watch tv that is my task is to supervise puppy and older dog interactions and actually you know what it's quite fun most of the time because you know you can watch dogs play and interact forever i actually find it better than watching tv so it's not like a a difficult thing um to do so for you you're going to be doing the same thing with your kids you're going to be there supervising kids and puppy in a really proactive way where you are right next to the puppy holding onto the puppy's house line if the puppy tries to get bitey with the kid you can gently detach the puppy from the kid and gently reattach the puppy to a toy and it's going to have to be very involved in this way now this is you know and the rest of the time by the way the puppy is in your um stair gated off area um sometimes people if people have an open plan house they instead use a puppy pen so the pup goes in the pen and I tend to prefer a room because at least if the pup's in a room with me, I can, one of us, me, can be in the room with the pup and interact with the pup. The pup doesn't feel like they're sort of relegated to this puppy only area where there are only people there. So I kind of prefer to staircase off an area if possible. Um, but some people don't have that as an option because they have an open plan house. So I hope that's helped you, Peter. Um, what else would I say? Yeah. I think it's difficult to have kids and puppies. It's really difficult. A lot of people have this 
these precise difficulties. I don't think I don't, if I had children, I don't think I would want to have a puppy at the same time that I had young children because it's, it's really, really difficult. So make sure you're supervising things closely and basically you need more structure. You need more prevention. You need to be making sure that, the, that you set things up so the puppy and the kids are not free range together for prolonged amounts of time when your attention is elsewhere. That in a nutshell is how to deal with that one. Um, so that's that question. I have a, another question from Lynn, which is a bit more gum dog training related. So I'll read you her question. She says, hi, Joe. I have been enjoying your podcasts. That's good. Um, I'm wondering if you have any advice for getting off lead reliability for my two pointers. The eight year old came from a rescue. We think she started life as a rental dog at a hunting lodge in the US. When I got her at three, she had a terrible association with coming when called and would run at 50 kilometers an hour away if one dropped her leash, but stayed in the neighborhood running top speed for up to 24 hours straight. After years of dedicated work and making people cry, Jolene now comes back nine times out of 10 and stops running and goes home after just a few hours. She no longer tries to slip out the door to run away, but if she is in a fenced area off leash, the first thing she does is look for an exit and quickly leaves the premises if one is available or can quickly be made. Obviously, I avoid, I avoid putting her in these situations, but I sure wish she would just stick around like my German shorthair pointer does. My other pointer is Annabelle, who is two. I got her as a 10-week-old puppy. She is mostly great and spot on with most behavior cues and commands. When Annabelle gets off leash, she wants to run fast and hunt, and no amount of leash work and long line work is getting her recall to where it needs to be for me to trust her. I might be overly cautious because of my utterly traumatic experiences with Jolie. I wonder if you have any suggestions on how to improve both dogs staying within 200 meters of me on our forest hikes so that they can both get that off-leash running exercise that they thrive on. I just thought I'd ask if you have any tips. So this can be quite a big a big task, a big challenge, and a big subject, a hugely big subject. Um, in fact, I have a five-week online course called the Reliable Recall Course, which specifically deals with recall problems either training a recall from scratch or addressing challenging situations like this i do think that even you know even if your dog has some understanding of the recall returning back to basics and retraining it from the very start using a structured program is the best option to get a reliable recall on your dog um i would say with the older dog with jolene that the main issue or the main the the reason that the issue is so big comes from that um experience she had as a hunting dog being used um you said as a rental dog at a hunting lodge so basically i think maybe we should rewind a little bit and talk about hunting and reinforcers and all that sort of stuff so um this is something that i've been covering recently i've been re-recording my reliable recall course as part of a big project that I am doing at the moment. And so I've just been, I've just been going through all this material. So it's quite fresh in my mind. So the first thing that I would say is Okay, folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor. So instead, I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. 
I record it, edit it, upload it myself, and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's Whistle Pause. Let's get back to the show. Think about when, when you have a puppy, you are teaching that puppy what is going to be reinforcing in its adult life. So if the puppy gets a lot of time interacting with their person and, you know, you're clicker training, you're using treats and you're using tasty treats. You're not just using, you know, boring dry kibble or even frankfurters, but you're using really super amazing stuff for, for behaviors like the recall then that's going to make a big impression on the puppy. If you're playing with the puppy daily, you're creating that bond with the pup and all that time you're establishing in your dog's mind that you are the source of reinforcement and you are the reinforcer. And you're developing that relationship, which is what you're going to be relying on later on when the dog is older and tempted by the environment. So as the dog gets older, you then encounter all those reinforcers out there in the environment, all those environmental reinforcers, whether they're birds or rabbits or um, I don't know, scent or game of some other description. But so the idea is that the dog is going to be meeting all that stuff out there in the world and learning how reinforcing all of that is. So I think it's constantly being aware of how reinforcing you are to the dog and how reinforcing the environment is becoming, not just in any one moment, but in a kind of global way. What is the, How is this dog feeling about you and feeling about the environment? Do they naturally want to look to you and naturally, you know, um, turn to you even in relatively distracting situations? Or are they really into the environment and it's kind of difficult to relate to them when you're out and about in that world? So kind of thinking about that and as your pup gets older, you're evaluating that all the time. And if you notice that your pup is getting more into the environment, then you might stop that contact with the environment and spend a lot more time training the pup and working with the pup in a kind of one-to-one way so that you're building yourself up as being more reinforcing, building up your toys, your games, your tennis balls or tuggies or whatever it is that you want to use. And then you can go back out there into the environment and also making sure you're using a long line, of course. But I think the long line, the long line is, is absolutely essential <clears throat> piece of equipment, but it's not by itself. We need to have all of that relationship stuff happening and we need to be teaching the dog where the reinforcers are, not just putting a long line on the dog. So the long line is essential to prevent the dog from learning what we don't want them to learn, but we it's not going to be um, enough by itself. And beca- again, I think maybe because it's a physical object, we can all see a long line in our heads and imagine what that is. It, we kind of get caught and hung up on this long line idea. Whereas what we can't see and what is less concrete is relationship. That's a kind of a vague, abstract, nebulistic term, which is a bit harder to kind of see in our heads. So, so that's the thing that I think it's important to focus on, particularly with a young pup. Now, with your older dog, we don't know what her early experience was like, but presumably if she was in the US and she was 
being trained as a hunting dog, she wouldn't have had that early history of, of the clicker and treats and becoming operant in that sort of way. So she would have learned more that the environment is absolutely amazing. And that is how dogs in North America, hunting dogs, are trained. Um, they are trained to have a lot of interest in birds and to be really driven to find those. And then there comes a point where they quote unquote break the dog and teach the dog via e-collies usually that the dog has to be under control in these scenarios. So um, that if you listen back to, I can't remember what episode it was, but if you just scroll back through the titles, you'll find an interview I did with Anne Taguchi, um, who trains her Weimaraners to run in field trials in North America. So in North America, there's very much this approach with a young dog that the dog's hunting is the priority and we'll get, take the dog out there, we'll get them, we'll introduce them to birds at a very young age, we'll get them into um, putting the birds up, finding that the birds are really exciting, locating them. And you know, it's all about interest in the environment and interest in birds. And, and they can do that because there then comes a point later on where they're going to quote unquote break the dog. Now, the difficulty comes when we are going to be force-free trainers or positive reinforcement-based trainers and we're not going to quote unquote break the dog. And yet the dog has had this early history of learning to find birds that, you know, learning to look to the environment and not that early history of lots of engagement with their handler or owner. So I think that combination of things is really difficult because as force free trainers, we can't then just stick an e-collar on the dog and deal with the problem like that. So it's, yeah, I think the UK approach is very much based on bringing on the hunting drive only once you've got the control and and once you've got the control once you've installed the brakes as it were then you can install the accelerator um and so i think that's very much the the uk based approach and it probably works a lot better if you're not going to use an e-collar which still in the uk is is, is not conventionally used the e-collars in fact they're increasingly being banned and i think we're moving towards a total ban soon um, but yeah, so basically I don't know, that's not really going to help you very much, is it? Because you've got the dog that you've got, but I do think with, you know, with your older dog, that was, that'd be the, probably the issue. Um, what I would suggest though, is tracker collars so that you know where your dogs are, if they're going to run off leash. So that's quite important for safety reasons, but really in terms of the training, I can give you some certain key points to think about. I don't know if any of them will help because we don't know your specific individual dogs and how they, you know, what their food motivation is or anything like like that. So what I would suggest is that you make sure you're using tasty treats. So a lot of the time people are not using reinforcing enough treats for their recalls. So you need to be using things like sardines, smoked mackerel, gourmet wet dog food, squishy salmon pate. Um, basically, if you're, if you're comfortable touching it, then it's probably not tasty enough as a recall treat and I say this to people in my training classes we have this week without any dogs and I give them this big talk about reinforcers and which foods to bring to class and how their recall treats need to be extra tasty and then the next week they all bring their dogs to class and we see what they've got for their recall treats and at least about half the class every time has got cheese or frankfurter I'm like, that's not going to be tasty enough and you know what I prove it to them I say right look that person over there's got some pate I want you to 
go get some pate from that person and we'll see if we get a better response from your dog. And you know what we do? We have a dog that's like scrabbling away on the floor. It can't des- it's desperate to get to its person. And it's clearly more motivation for the pate than there was for the cheese. So we kind of prove it to people in that way, but that's what it takes. And I wish it didn't take that. I wish people would just listen to me and <laughs> what I say and to go use these tasty treats in the first place rather than have to be shown in person that this works better. Um, but anyway, so... Make sure you're using those tasty, tasty, tasty treats because you're shooting yourself in the foot if you're not. Secondly, make sure you have drilled a specific recall. So you're probably going to want a whistle, particularly if you've got a dog that runs far away. Your voice just isn't going to carry. So make sure you've got a whistle and make sure you've got a consistent whistle cue, whether it's three peeps in the whistle, four, five, however many it is, but that it's consistent. Then you're going to drill that whistle cue inside for your tasty treats. So I use an exercise called the elastic recall exercise, which is on my reliable recall course and it involves getting loads and loads of reps over and over again for really tasty treats. Um, Then we progress onto an exercise called come away from distractions, where we teach the dog the concept of coming away from something that they want. Now this sounds a bit obvious, but it's interesting because when we practice this in class, we sometimes have dogs which they they just do this right, right immediately and they don't seem to have any problem with it um, so the exercise is that we have a distractor holding some treats in their hand and wafting these treats around the dog's nose and trying to distract the dog it's a bit like imagine the distractor is like the pied piper they're basically trying to get the dog to stay with them and they not just using the treats but they can also use their voice as long as they don't give the dog any cues or say the dog's name but they can go hey look what i've got here hey look at these treats are these daisy uh would you want these oh they're really amazing um and tease the dog basically with the treats they can also if the dog likes play they can play a bit with the dog they can get the dog riled up the dog's allowed to jump up at them and just be really excited and into them Um, and then we have the recaller who is standing at a distance from all of this and they are going to call the dog away from this distracting person and give give the dog a tasty squishy delicious recall treat such as we just described so um, that is the basic exercise now some dogs just get this right immediately they are interested in the distractor but when the recaller calls they're immediately able to disengage and come other dogs this is like some i don't know it's like some weird concept which they've just never their brain is about to explode with the whole idea of this like the the thing that they're interested in is is just takes up all of their mind it seems that there's there's no room in their brain to register the recall happening behind them they're just so absorbed by this this distracting person and the treats and this is like i almost think of it as a concept it's like the dog has to get this through this concept of come away from something that appears to be offering you reinforcement in order to get even better reinforcement somewhere else so um the distractor is never going to give the dog the treat so it's important they are only distracting the dog they're never going to reinforce the dog so yeah i mean to me there's some dogs which just don't get this at first and they need loads of reps and sometimes we need to make it easier by massively reducing the distance between the distractor and the recaller Um, if the dog doesn't come when they're called then the recaller goes forwards with their tasty treat puts it on the dog's nose and runs backwards a few steps to get the dog to come to them so we never repeat the recall and we just stick at that until we've got the dog immediately coming away from the distraction so i think a lot of the time when we've got dogs out there in the world who are unable to disengage from things when when they're being recalled away from them that it's not necessarily disobedience or like the dog is just disobeying me or they're not you know they they can hear me but they've just decided they want to stay with that thing i mean sometimes it might be that but i think a lot of the time there's this concept that 
they just they just don't have any space in their brain for this this thing is like this thing amazing thing right in front of them is just so interesting to them that they cannot possibly um disengage from it so i think that is a huge thing a huge step to make sure you've gone through with a dog before you take them out and about then there's the long line so the long line is going to enable you to drill your recalls in more distracting locations and if you do have particular difficulties with say game scent or rabbits or you know whatever it is whatever your nemesis is that you seek out those things once you've got the basic recall working within the length of the long line in a general sense outside but that you don't avoid these things you deliberately go right my dog is not very um good when if i recall them away from rabbit scent or if i you know so let's go and find that and practice in that situation so you would then be able to use the long line to gently disengage the dog from whatever it is that they were self-reinforcing on when you called them and then gently reel them back to you give give them one of your tasty squishy recall treats if they came even part of the way back to you of their own volition at this point and then release them back to go check it out again and then so just repeat that over and over and you will find that the dog comes back to you um in that situation but that is a very controlled it's not you're not just walking around outdoors with your dog letting them go and experience whatever they want to experience you're you're taking them to specific distractions and drilling your recall in those situations and contexts and only once you've done all of this groundwork can you then start to drop the long line and start to walk or exercise your dog in a more free running way so i think a lot of the time people just don't go through all of these steps they just skip from basically calling a puppy around the house to expecting the dog to be able to respond when they're out and about in kind of distracting places and it's just not going to work so you need a structured program with progressive exercises which increase the difficulty levels over multiple weeks um, and really that's what my reliable recall course is and what it provides and offers you so um, i highly recommend the reliable recall course and hopefully that has helped um, but yeah do kind of i sort of think that for a lot of hunting dogs it, they make the connection when they start to hunt is the other thing to say so um i don't know you haven't mentioned lynn if you're actually hunting with your dog but that is where handlers become very relevant because dogs have been bred to be interested in game for a reason so that we can then shoot that game over them and take it home and you know that's that's part of it and so the dog learns to cooperate with us because they see us as part of this activity that we are necessary part of this fun thing that we do together and if if people are not going to hunt or shoot over their dogs then i think they have to keep in mind that they are they don't have the benefit of that structure for the dog of the dog realizing that the handler is there with them on this activity together do you know what i mean it becomes more the dog's activity which the handler's not interested in. So the handler doesn't, you know, isn't there with the dog to find the game. And, you know, the dog can the dog knows that we're not part of that thing that they are interested in doing. So that encourages them to become independent and to go seek it off by the, seek, seek it by themselves. If you watch someone with a dog, which you know, someone shooting over their dog, you'll see that the dog is cooperating with the person. The dog knows where the person is. The dog knows about the positioning. They understand in what direction the bird is likely to flush to understand where the guns are going to be um, they just the dog is cooperating all the time with the whole um activity of of finding the game pointing shooting whatever um the dog is constantly there engaged in that process with its people 
So without the, the whole shooting side of that, you've just got this hunting drive that the dog kind of doesn't have anywhere to channel or anything to, you know, any way to realize that you're part of that in some way. And I think that's where a lot of difficulties come from as well. So I don't know if any of those thoughts help at all, but yeah, I think a structured training program that makes sure you have covered all the, all the possible existing gaps would be really. I'm going to interrupt this fabulous discussion to bring you today's whistle pause. The whistle pause is where an ad break would usually be, but I don't have an ad break. I just have me and my whistle, my trusty T12, on which I'm going to play you a tune. The sad thing about my whistle at the moment is that it's dying a little bit, so bits of plastic have broken off. So it will only blow if I blow it really loudly, then a note will come out. Otherwise, it's this kind of whispery, hoarse, airy, breathy noise. So I've got another whistle on order, and I'd like to reassure you that the, the whistle pause will improve in quality in future episodes. Now, the reason we don't have an ad break here and you have this whistle pause instead is because I don't have a sponsor. I don't want a sponsor because I want to be completely free to recommend the products I want to recommend. And I don't want to have to recommend a product that I don't believe in or love in order to get sponsorship. So there are some ways you can support me, though, because otherwise it is just me making this podcast. So if you like this podcast, there are some simple things and free things that you can do. One is to share it and to tell other people about it and to post it on social media and to promote it whenever you can. The other thing you can do will benefit you as well, I hope. You can check out some of my courses, my online platform, forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon, wherever you live. That is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. Really helpful for you. Hold the line. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about these lining drills now. So you can move on. If you look back at the previous episode, we've been talking about wagon wheel drills, which are a great way to start your lining drills. But if you've kind of done the wagon wheel drills and you want to move on to the next stage, then this is what I'd be moving on to next. Um, It's called the three in a row drill, but it could actually be called the five in a row drill. Just, you know, the number is a little bit arbitrary and depends on the amount of space that you have. You can also start this training indoors, which I really like to do. And particularly if you're under lockdown at the moment or something, you might really like to be able to do this inside um, to, to begin with. So you will need a certain number of food bowls, dog food bowls for this exercise. So let's assume we're going to do three in a row because we may have limited space inside and that's probably plenty. Um, so you would put your three food bowls down. So this is this is why I have to describe to you very visual things and I just get in a complete mess, but let's have a go. So let's say you are going to put a food bowl down on the floor and then to the right of that food bowl, probably about mm, a meter and a half, away you're going to put down another food bowl and then to the right of that food bowl another meter and a half away you're going to put down a third food bowl so we've basically got three food bowls in a row with about a meter and a half between them you are going to stand 
by the very first food bowl that you put down, but not immediately in front of it because you're going to be sending the dog to it. So you need a little bit of distance on that food bowl. So you're going to stand opposite that very first food bowl that you put down, but probably about three meters away. Um, trying to think about three, one, two, three. Yeah, it's probably about right. Probably about three meters away from the first um, food bowl with your dog. Now, the principle of this, let's just talk about the overview of it first of all, is that you can line the dog to the food bowl of your choice and the dog does not go to any other food bowl other than the one that you're lining them to. So when you line them to the food bowl right in front of you, that's going to be pretty easy because uh, you know it's probably the closest food bowl, it's right in front of them um, and that's going to be relatively easy. As you, for the next food bowl, you're going to not move away from the spot where you are. You're going to pivot on the spot to face the second food bowl and you're going to line the dog to that food bowl now when you do that the dog is going to be running at a diagonal kind of past the first food bowl to get to that second food bowl because you haven't moved to stand opposite you're always standing in exactly the same spot which is opposite the first food bowl and you're just pivoting on that spot to face food bowl two and then to face food bowl, food bowl three. So as you go down the line of food bowls, the dog is going to you find this progressively harder because they're going to have to run at a more kind of oblique angle past those other tempting food bowls. So that's a kind of overview of what we're looking for. But let's go back and talk about how to achieve it. So the first step is we are only going to put food in the food bowl that we want the dog to go to to begin with and that's if the dog goes to remember this is prevention again by the way this is prevention this is thinking ahead this is thinking what might happen in this exercise which i don't want to happen okay what might happen is the dog's going to go to the wrong food bowl so what do we do to prevent that from happening or to prevent that from being reinforcing if it happens well we can just not put food in that food bowl so there we go there's that's prevention achieved through thinking ahead through thinking in this situation i'm about to put my dog in what might they do that I don't want them to do? And what can I do about that? So, okay, let's say, let's just put food in the first food bowl in front of the dog. We'll line the dog up to that food bowl. Dog goes to get that food. Just by, by food, I just mean one or two pieces of kibble. You're not giving them their whole dinner or anything. Um, and then the dog's gonna come back to you because, you know, that's that. Um, by the way, what they do after eating the food doesn't really matter because this isn't a retrieve. So as long as they go to the right food bowl, that's all we're interested in. Doesn't That's the exercise over them. They don't have to come back to you or anything although you're going to want them to for the next exercise but that's not part of the rep as it were then you're going to take another couple of bits of kibble and you're going to put it in the next food bowl along in your line and you're going to rotate pivot on the spot to face the next food bowl put your arm down just like you would fit a retrieve you're going to line the dog up point to the food bowl and i do recommend that you say your fetch cue actually and a lot i know this confuses people a lot and people's brains explode at this i think it's because you know we are obviously we speak English and we understand that fetch means a retrieve, which means go and pick something up and bring it back to me. And we assume that the dog has the same understanding of this word as we do. And actually, I think that to dogs, fetch just means go have access to that amazing reinforcer out there that you want. That's what I think it means, really. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, for whatever reason, we can, that's my hypothesis anyway, that's not based on science or anything, but um, for whatever reason, I've never had a problem saying my retrieve cue to the dog in this exercise with food. The dog just goes and eats the food like they would go get the retrieve. So I recommend that you do that because then we're going to be building in the right kind of 
um, patterns and associations and things for when we do make this into a, a retrieve when we're outside in the field. So um, you're going to bend down, line your dog up to the next food bowl, and you're going to say your retrieve word. Your dog's going to go eat that um, food, and then you're going to put a little bit, a couple of bits of kibble in the last food bowl, line your dog up for that one. They're going to go and eat that food. Okay, fair enough. So that's level one. So level two is the dog doesn't see you put the food in the food bowl. So in that particular exercise, you, the dog was sitting there in a sit stay while you were putting a couple of bits of kibble in the food bowl. So the dog can see you put the food there. So they know where the food is. So it's all pretty, pretty easy. So what you're going to do the next time is you're going to take one piece of a kibble or whatever food you're using. It doesn't have to be kibble, by the way, but because we're training indoors, I'm assuming you're using kibble. If you feed your dog a kibble, you may not. Um, so you're going to throw a treat, let's say, away from where your food bowls are because you want to distract the dog while you put the food in the bowl so throw a kibble you know if you can throw it around the corner if you can throw it out of the room so the dog's got to chase after it and that will give you more time to put the food in the food bowl so basically throw a distraction treat while you put food in the first food bowl then you're going to get the dog back to your side line them up point them to the first food bowl and they go and eat that food in the first food bowl which they didn't see you put there and then you're going to do the same thing again, distract the dog while you put the food in the second and then the third. So again, there's no food in the other food bowls. So if the dog does get this wrong, they are not going to get reinforced for getting it wrong and going to the wrong food bowl because there's no food there. By the way, I should say at this point, because this is where you might start to have the dog going to a different bowl, what to do if that happens. So let's say you line the dog up for the second food bowl in the row, but the dog sort of then maybe they take one step towards it but then they veer off towards the first food bowl because it's easier and closer so if that happened you would just be step in with what i call your positive interrupter if you want some ideas on how to train that emily lalam from kiko pop has some excellent youtube video on how to train a positive interrupter but you're basically just going to be um excited and happy and just encourage the dog to focus back on you again and you know, get them out of whatever they were doing there and refocus back on you in a positive way. Um, and then you're going to make it easier for them to go to the food bowl that you're pointing to. So to achieve that, imagine that there is a line between the food bowl that you want them to go to and your position opposite the first food bowl. So there is like a straight line. We could draw it on the ground between the food bowl and your starting position. What you're going to do is move along that line closer to the food bowl so that you take out some of this distracting area where the dog's going to veer off towards the wrong bowl. You can halve the distance basically by moving yourself up halfway to the correct food bowl. Send the dog to that food bowl. Then you're going to throw another distraction treat and put another piece of um, food or treat or whatever in the bowl you want them to go to and you're going to move back a bit further along that line and you just basically for many reps you're going to progress back along the line until you can start at the starting position that you were on originally and send the dog successfully to that food bowl without them seeing you put the food there then you're going to rotate pivot on the spot to face the third food bowl after you throw in your distraction treat in order to put food in that bowl of course and then you're going to send the dog to that bowl now assuming you got through that you may not have got through that flawlessly all all in one go like first food bowl successful second food bowl successful third food bowl successful so if you didn't get through that first time first time you attempted it perfectly then you're going to do it again and without making it harder you cannot progress until you've done all three food bowls right first time 
with you throwing your distraction treat and putting the food in the bowl, pivoting on the spot, you know, so you've got that mailed right first time. If you had to move along your line to get closer to the food bowl at all and then progress back gradually to the starting point, you're not ready yet to make it harder. So you need to stay at that stage. So let's assume that you've managed to do that, right? So the next thing you're going to do is you're going to leave the dog in the sit stay and then you're going to let the dog watch you fake put food in the bowl two bowls that are not going to have food in and actually put food into the bowl so what so let me describe what you're doing here so you've got some food in your hand let's say you're going to start by sending the dog to the first bowl because we always do this in sequence that's an important part that i left out we always go bowl right in front of you bowl to the right of that bowl and then bowl to the far right of that bowl we we don't jump around we always go one two three down the line so let's so we're going to start with bowl one in front of you so you've got some food in your hand um, and I think part of that, by the way, is it helps the dog, that the sequence helps the dog get this right, if that makes sense, um, eventually. So you're going to put some food in your hand and you're going to go up to the first food bowl. You're going to put your hand into the bowl. So what you want is you don't want the dog to be able to see if you've put food in or not. So you're going to put your hand in that bowl and because this is the bowl we're going to send the dog to, you're going to let one piece of kibble come out, but try to make sure it doesn't make a noise. You're just going to quietly put it in there. Then you're going to go up to the second bowl in the row. And you're going to like waggle your hand inside the bowl without letting any food out, but make it look like you're putting food in there. And then you're going to go to the third bowl and you're going to waggle your hand in there and fake, fake put food in without putting food in. Then you're going to go back to the beginning. You're going to send the dog for the first bowl. So the dog will probably do that well because that one's the closest one. So then you're going to do, you're going to put the food in the second bowl. So you'll go up to the first bowl and you'll fake waggle your hand around without actually putting any food in. You'll go up to the second bowl and you'll put your hand in and you'll quietly let a single piece of kibble come out in there without making any noise. And then you'll go up to the third bowl and you'll fake waggle your hand in the bowl. Then you go back to the beginning with your dog and you line your dog up for the first bowl. Sorry, for the second bowl in the row because we've done the first bowl. Um, and send your dog to that bowl. So you again, if the dog goes the wrong way, then you're going to reduce the distance, halve the distance between the dog and the bowl and move along that line back gradually till you get to the starting point each time you repeat this you will be actually putting food in the bowl that you're going to send the dog to and fake putting food in the two bowls that you're not going to send the dog to so hopefully that's that's made sense so far um so if you're successful with that by and again by successful with that i mean that first time you can do bowls one two three and you don't have to build back along the line back to the beginning you can just you know, nail it first time first time out when you do that exercise then you can so it's moy moaning in the background i think she wants to go out but she's just a bit bored and we'll have to wait a little bit longer um yeah so if you can do that then you're going to put food in all of the food bowls so this is kind of this is the most difficult level i don't know why i think some point in some way dogs may know that there's actually food there now so you're going to have to make sure you've got your positive interrupter trained quite well in case the dog goes to the wrong food bowl and that you're really observant and you're going to play things really safely here so by, by that i mean that if you think the dog is going to go to the wrong bowl don't hesitate to move up closer to the right bowl don't just try it and see because probably they'll go to the wrong bowl and then you'll have to interrupt them so it's better if you can set this up so that it works so if the first few times you practice it like this you need to move up closer to the bowl then do that um, and then build back away from it. So anyway, that is that exercise with food bowls. Once you can do this with food bowls, you can move the same exercise outside to the field on a larger scale. So you may want to have a five in a row drill by this point. So, or you may just stick with three in a row. Um, 
So you will have white fence posts, which hopefully by this point your dog understands denote a dummy pile. And at the base of the fence posts, you will have a pile of dummies. And you will probably have, mm, I don't know, gosh, how many meters? I don't know, 15 yards between each white fence post. And you with the dog will be 20 yards opposite the first fence post in the row, if that makes any sense at all. Um, just experiment with the distances. If the if the fence posts are too close together, then it, it, you're making it harder for the dog in some ways because they're more tempting to the dog when they're going when they've been sent to one to veer off to another. Um, but at the same time, if you make them too far apart, then this becomes quite a big scale exercise, and rather than a fine lining drill. So just experiment with what distance works for you in terms of teaching the dog this concept but it's probably going to be those distances that i just mentioned something like that so again you are going to start with a dummy just at the base of the fence post that you're sending the dog to and make sure there aren't dummies at the other fence posts just like with the food um, then you can fake throw dummies to the wrong fence posts and so on but really you're progressing towards um, just using the dummy piles that are that are out there rather than having to animate dummies and throw them to the fence because you want the dog to go where you send them not where they just saw you throw a dummy um, so yeah I mean the, adding the retrieval on the end doesn't really make the exercise the con- you know the concept of the exercise much harder than when you were just using food bowls because the dogs can do a basic retrieve by this point so it's not going to make it that much harder you're just doing everything exactly the same so I do have a video showing this exercise, actually the three in a row drill. If you look on my YouTube channel, which is Dogworks, I think you will find, I think I've made it unlisted and public now. So, um, sorry, not unlisted public. So I think if you look on the YouTube channel, you can find the three in a row drill, five in a row drill and some lining drills that I'm doing with Moy. Um, so you can see this in video because it's gonna be easier than me describing it in a podcast episode. Um, all right. Anyway, everyone, that is all for this week, and it's good to be back. It's been a little bit difficult to find time to record the podcast. I'm being really, really busy at the moment. Um, So I have a massive, exciting, fantastically super-duper project, which is going to be of interest to all of you, which I'm working on, and it's taking up a lot of time at the moment. And dragging myself away from that to make podcast episodes, I'm just a bit like, oh, I really want to get back to it. So that's what I'm working on at the moment, and it's going to be really exciting, and you're all going to love it, I know. Um, but I have to make it first of all. So um, that's what I've been working on. Plus, I think in lockdown, I feel a little bit self-conscious about escaping to the office to mumble away into a microphone and record podcast episodes while Adam's in the house, Um, because obviously we're both here um, during lockdown. But now lockdown restrictions have been relaxed somewhat. He's able to go kayaking, which is where he is today, and I can freely talk aloud to myself in the office without worrying about him hearing me and feeling like I sound stupid so um you might get some more podcast episodes from me now um anyway I hope that you are all doing well out there um training your dogs and making good use of this time that you have with them and I will be back soon Hold, Hold